What you're about to hear was first released as a bonus episode in Season 1 of Christ in All Things. We remastered it into two parts that we think fit nicely into Season 2's conversation with Christian entrepreneurship and business owners. Enjoy this conversation with Colin Murdy at the Murdy Creative Company. He really wants that, and he really wants that, and he really wants that. And I'm like, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. He's going to love the way this ends. Welcome to Christ in All Things, a conversation about meaning and purpose. It's based on a verse from the Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, which says, Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ in All Things is a listening ear into conversations about receiving and giving the love and hope of Christ. And these conversations are an invitation, because as much as you'll hear, and as much as we enjoy having them, digital media operates from a distance, and that's not what's best for us, with God or with one another. So, thanks for listening. And if you're in the neighborhood, we invite you to participate in person in the life that finds its epicenter at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Christ in All Things. I'm your host, Pastor Jason Schockman. With me today is my co-host, Pastor Lance O'Donnell. Greetings and salutations. And a dear friend, uh, Colin David Murdy, uh, who is the CEO, founder, and uh, owner of the Murdy Creative Company, uh, a member at St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, uh, a young man that I've known for more than half of his life uh, since he was in the fifth grade, uh, Colin David Murdy. Hello. That's all we get is a hello. Well, Not, hi, Reverend. How are you doing? Oh, wow. Now, I miss good all these with the friars and reverends. They're such great names for you guys. Yeah. That's just pastor. Yeah, pastor works yeah, just I, fine, I, though. I know. Yeah, okay. That works. So, um, Colin, I've known you, as I mentioned, for more than half your life. Uh, I was thinking about that on the way up. Uh, and that allows, that that long-term pastoral relationship uh, allows for us to be able to uh, talk about and be very real about uh, things that are quite challenging and quite hard sometimes. Uh, and you and I, over the course of your life, have had many of those conversations, uh, in part uh, because not only have I known you for a long time, but in a lot of ways, you and I are cut from a very similar cloth. Um which is something we've talked about before. Uh, so how are you? Well, I have been better. It's been a tough couple of months. I mean, it's been a couple of tough couple of years as a small business owner. I think, yeah. you know, it's never supposed to be easy, right? It's kind of, that's like what, that's the Abrahamic call to adventure is that the overall, you know, leave your father's tent and go to Egypt is, or go to the land I promised you is a pretty serious call. And I think we're all called to that adventure, but Sometimes that adventure is really tough, and it's been really, really tough as of late. And uh, and that's it's tough. <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Colin, because um, this is a bonus episode for us. Oh, I'm a bonus. At, you are a bonus in at, more Christ, ways at Christ than in all things, because you know I. Well, what I want to do, we want to break from our typical format Excellent. with these, and 
uh, I want to read you something that I wrote and then let you respond to it. And he's going to, he's going to, Pastor Shockman's going to moderate the conversation. And to be clear, I don't know what this says. Even better. He has not shared it even, with me. Even yet. better. So I want, I want to read you, this is, this is a two-page letter that I wrote to you and your team yesterday. Oh. Dear Colin and the Murdy Creative Company team, I had ADHD before it was cool. Sometimes I'm very empathetic and creative. Sometimes I can laser focus. Sometimes I'm easily distracted. I am often very aware of the world around me, the sights and the sounds. I can most often fairly easily get the feel of a room. But when I was young, the distractibility, especially in subjects that didn't have my high interest, limited me. Though reasonably intelligent, I couldn't get stellar grades, in part because I had a hard time sustaining big projects. My incredibly supportive parents saw my empathy, talent, and intelligence and wanted me to have the tools to succeed. In high school, I used the same planning tool that was big on Wall Street, the Franklin Planner. I discovered that writing things down helped. A high school science teacher in a unit to help us prepare for college recommended taking handwritten notes and then typing them as soon as possible afterwards. When I did it, it worked really well. The handwriting focused my words, helped me listen for keys. The typing helped me organize and retain. After a five-year post-college stint in public service, I began a high-intensity graduate school program. The combination of a subject of great interest with tactile handwritten notes and the typing of and collaborative sharing of those notes was part of a largely successful six-plus years of graduate study. After re-entering the working world, I largely put away my pen for the keys of my computer. I still used the Franklin Planner, but it began to wane. Then there was the HP Personal Digital Assistant, PDA, that I got from my brother, which I used in conjunction with my then flip phone. Then came the smartphone, the marvelous combination of the PDA and the phone, calendar, searchable notes, text, phone calls, email, music, amazing. I wrote by hand less and less. It was so much easier and, in many respects, more efficient to type. But then a handwritten note by my cousin began to open my eyes. The note took such effort to take the time to write, to think things through and handwrite a note of encouragement, to look up my address and write it on an envelope, to stamp and snail mail it, all made it very special. That note helped me rediscover the utility of handwriting. I was addicted to the ease of my smartphone, but I began to see the necessity of handwriting. I returned to handwriting notes for meetings and typing them up for storage and organization. This led me to consider bound journals. I was taken aback at first by the cost of a moleskin journal, but I found myself conducting a cost-benefit analysis of handwriting, and thus also of a good pen and good paper. I hungered for a hybrid solution that had the tactile engagement of pen and paper and the utility and efficiency of digital storage. 
I began to see ads for these really sexy old school leather journals by the Murdy Creative Company. And finally, I bit the bullet and got a gorgeous Murdy number two folio. What is it about the feel of a fine leather journal? It's hard to explain. I remember back in college, a Renaissance man of a roommate introduced me to jazz pianist McCoy Tyner and jazz saxophonist John Coltrane. Mind you, I was raised on Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond, who are fun, but Tyner and Coltrane were a revelation. Soon thereafter, we traveled to New York City to visit my buddy's grandfather, godfather, I should say. We had dinner in the village, and we were walking down the street when my friend about went out of his mind, pointed to a small marquee, and exclaimed, McCoy Tyner's playing here tonight. The next thing I knew, I was drinking a Manhattan in the village, literally next to the great jazz pianist McCoy Tyner. It was simultaneously of the earth and ethereal, wonderful. Writing in a moleskin journal is very satisfying and helpful, like listening to McCoy Tyner on the stereo. Writing with an excellent pen in a moleskin that is wrapped in a Murdy Creative Company journal is like listening to McCoy Tyner live at a little piano bar in the village with a Manhattan in your hand. Design makes a difference. Design brings beauty to function. The Murdy Creative Company journals remind us that the world is beautiful. Writing even a daily task in a Murdy journal or folio elevates it from the mundane. To live on this earth is difficult and capricious, majestic and marvelous. To own a Murdy journal, I have found, is to embrace the good earth. Colin, thanks to your team for making products that bring beauty to our world. You have helped me to rediscover creative writing. Your products have wrapped even mundane daily tasks in beauty. By encouraging me to write by hand, your products have helped me to be more attentive and productive, more thoughtful and creative. Is not all of this a gift of God? Yours in Christ, Reverend Lance Armstrong O'Donnell. P.S. Originally handwritten in the Murdy number two folio. Oh, wonderful. You know, it's interesting to compare something like leather to jazz. I was thinking about this as you were reading this, because the good earth, you're so right. I was, people always ask me, what is it about leather? That's a good question. And it's tasty. Well, it is tasty. Um, it has such a tactile connection to our history. It's, you don't get better than when we're talking about like things that are built into our DNA. It's so hard to miss that journal is part of that, that leather is part of that history, right? I mean, what was it? Adam and Eve got animal skins for their clothes, right? right. Their first clothing was animal skins. I mean, other than the ones they made for themselves, which are terrible. So, you know, <laughs> it seems like God works in leather when he makes clothing. So, you know, this is where when we talk about the worlds we live in even looking around this room the wood on the edges is all machined the sheetrock that make up the walls made by machines perfectly built with meticulous precision identical in every way to every other piece of sheetrock that comes off that line the the couches the fabrics everything is artificial 
Aren't we live in these artificial worlds? We don't touch. There's this like classic line on the internet: "Go touch grass." Like, turn off your computer and go touch grass. And it's this. It's used as this kind of insult for people who spend too much time on their computers. But there's a reality to it that is Wait, deep. There, are, there are people who spend too much time on their computers. Well, I don't know any personally, um, but <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so I've heard, and I think that that leather has a deep, like, genetic part of our life. And I love it. I love working with it. It is fickle to work with because people have a perception about perfection in their things. People want perfect things. And leather, to make perfect leather is virtually impossible. Every piece of leather has something that mirrors the life of the cow. I was going to say because every piece of leather is actually the hide of whatever... Absolutely. Like whatever life the animal that lived in it lived. Absolutely. So the cow that walked through or walked a little too close to the barbed wire is going to leave a really nice scar on that leather that you try to make a folio out of. It's interesting because I was thinking about this when I, we, we first launched, launched our rugged line back in February, and it was specifically designed to showcase those parts of the hide, which we've always prided ourselves in being an excellent quality you know, we really, I mean, everything, all the leather is all made in the United States, in Milwaukee, actually. Our hardware comes from California. It's all custom made for us. So we have a, a really strong belief that the quality is, is the foundation of what we do. And because of that, we've often avoided parts of the leather that we know are good quality leather, but would not be perceived as such. And then we launched our rugged line, in part because we were seeing an enormous rising costs of our materials, and we wanted to say, how can we be more responsible with this leather? How can we use more of these hides? And people have really liked the rugged line. It's really brought, I think, a lot of people into an understanding that leather in its imperfection is beautiful. And I mean, I think that that's it's a little bit like how we are, right? I think there's a certain level of beauty and imperfection, and obviously there's much greater beauty in God's perfection, but the leather is great in that regard. It means something akin to, um, I can boast all the more in my weakness. <laughs> yeah, right. A thorn in your side. Because in my in my weakness, his his strength, God's strength, is made perfect. Absolutely, or shown to be perfect. Right, where where I'm weak, he's strong. I was I was struck by, and I've been thinking about this for some time because I took my, I took a couple of my journals. We did a three week trip. Uh, in June and July, all the way to the Pacific Ocean and back to Wisconsin, and I took my journal with me. And I know, I, I know, I think I sent you a picture. It's a great photo from West Yellowstone with me holding my my little folio up with the with the mountains in the background and the sunrise. I was up early in the morning making having my coffee, and I I, I am there was a threshold. Like, I mean, I got my first folio as a gift, but. I immediately invested in in some others and it it struck me it's nice to get a gift. You know, I, I don't know that the the gift, for example, that I got for my daughter, she appreciates nearly as much as the one I bought for myself. Like I spent serious money to make to get one of these really high quality things. Um in in which i i hand record the my the events of my life the things i need to do and and some 
really long-term writing projects that I've, that I've taken up there. There's something about, I mean, I, I made, I didn't realize this at first. I made an investment in myself and I'm, I was kind of struck by how important that is. Yeah. It is interesting how there's, I mean, I could cite all of the studies that talk about how writing is writing physically with hand is deeply important for mental health and it allows for us to be, uh, to express things in a unique way. But I think my one of, you know, Dr. Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson once talked about how it's really hard for people to think in their head and how most people actually think is in dialogue. People have a conversation with another person because it's to, to think, we think we think in our head. Like we, we like, I think in my head, but we're dialoguing with ourselves in our head when we're thinking. That's normally how we do it is we have a conversation with ourselves around a topic. Even that in and of itself though is limited by the kind of the, the internals of your brain, which are very abstract oftentimes. They're very ethereal. They don't have a lot of substance to them. And so it's hard when you're not negotiating or discussing with something with substance to have a foundation to work off of from a th- thought perspective. But when you write in a journal, when you write something down, you will shock, you'll be shocked at what you write down. You'll be surprised. Something will come out of the tip of your pen and you'll look at it and you'll read it again. And you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think of that till it happened, right? You, you'll write about your day. And it's, shock- it's funny, I had a method of writing that I had been doing for a long time where I would journal I kind of a form that I used. I've kind of gotten away from it a little bit personally recently, but I had a form that I would use and I would write a couple of specifics about a couple of specific topics throughout the day. And it would be funny because I would, I would write things down and I didn't realize they were important until I wrote them down. I wrote them down. And I'm like, why did I write that down? Why did that come up? Right? Why was that the thing that I chose to write down? And it's not like I write, you know, the, the stream of consciousness. I'm not quite that like avant-garde about it, right? It's a little more structured than that, right? I do write things on purpose, but at the same time, there's a lot of times where you'll write something down and it'll be as if you are thinking, it's as if you're having a conversation with yourself. And it's one of the only places in the modern world where you can be honest. This is the, this is the downside of tech, right? This is the dark side of tech. And by the way, everything I'm saying, everyone knows. There's nobody who pretends like they actually have any sort of privacy anymore, right? I know Jeff Bezos is listening to me right now. I know Tim Cook is listening to me right now, and I know all of their friends at the alphabet agencies are listening to me right now because we are surrounded and by microphones. And they'll listen again when we publish it on the internet. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely, right? And by the way, <laughs> Snowden told us this, right? Like, I'm not like, it's not like <laughs> me just conspiracy theory. Like, we've had the tech to do this for decades, right? Of course we've been doing it. So when can you be honest with yourself if you're always being listened to and of course, there's the classic line from when they pass the Patriot Act. Well, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing, you know, you should have no problem with that. And it's like, well, okay, but that's not really how we think of things, right? There are times when, we, when we're not sure exactly what we think or we're not exactly sure what we feel about something. And sometimes we need to think it through a little bit or have a little bit, we need to get it wrong first before we get it right. I mean, that's how, like, that's how all the great heresies come about, right? You walk yourself out on a limb and then you realize you're way out on a limb, right? So you, you have to walk through them before you can, you have to walk through the logic before you realize it's a heresy, right? It's hard. Sometimes you can spot them from the beginning, but not always, right? Right. And so I think in this regard, it's so easy to, and I think we've actually created, we've incentivized a world where you lie to everybody all the time, whether it's in Instagram and social media where you put up the very best photos that have been filtered and you come up with the best commentary or whether it's 
you know, it, we just create these lies and we surround themselves. And the problem is we tell them to ourselves so often that eventually the lie is the truth, right? The lie becomes the truth. Yeah, we believe them. And this goes back to, uh, what was it? Um, our Gulag Archipelago, what the, Solzhenitsyn wrote, uh, Live Not By Lies, right? That was his whole thing. Oh, yeah. And that was the foundation. First off, Live Not By Lies is so good. It's so well-written and it's terrifying yeah. to read it now because it's... Oh, Rod Dreher is... Relatively new book. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a, and it's based off the speech that he wrote that, that, uh, um, Solzhenitsyn's final letter yeah, before he was. Exiled. Exactly. And there is a great, um, there's a great line. If you go watch the HBO Chernobyl series, Oh, when the first off, it's an excellent series. I really loved it. They did a really good job with it. But one of the things that happens right off the bat when the ex- reactor is exploding and it's very obvious to anybody who has any sort of like eyes, at the moment, they're like that. They're, I can tell you it's exploded because I can see the opening. It's like the roof's gone, right? So it's like you can't deny it. And everybody above the people on the front lines is denying it. This can't be happening. This couldn't happen. This can't happen. And then. Therefore, it's not happening. Therefore, it's not happening. The old man comes into the room with the Politburo and stands up after this whole discussion is being happened. All these young party members, he stands up and he goes, What's the name of this? And it's. Obviously, I think the Leon Lenin Trotsky, I believe, was the name of the reactor or the full name of it or something like that. It was one of the founders. Or maybe it's Stalin, actually. And he says, we need to shut this down so that we can prevent the spread of misinformation. And I just heard that and I'm just like, oh, OK, so we're, we're just going to keep doing this. Like, we're just going to keep playing this again. Right. And I thought to myself, I'm like, the only time that reality can be told in an environment where you're always being watched is in private. And the only place to have any privacy is in a written journal because otherwise, if it's typed out on a computer, somebody can find it. There is nothing secure in the world that's typed. But I can write whatever I want in my journal. And honestly, it's far harder to hack my journal than it is to hack my phone now. So I think there's something freeing about journaling. And it's hard to... It's hard to express that to people. It's not just the writing for me, as I've been thinking about it. It's that, but it's... It's also, quite frankly, the effort. Yes. And this is what I alluded to when I read, you know, I thought my, my cousin's note to me, which I will keep forever. I mean, he wrote a handwritten, it was, there, there's something about the effort that goes into, you're involving all these senses, the work that goes into it. There, there is something about the writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I notice you do, you know, when, when you walk in the pulpit, you, I mean, I know you type, but I see a lot of handwritten stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, with squigglies and stuff all oh, yeah. over it. I mean, that would be a fun study just to look oh, yeah. at your stuff. Well, I mean, so um, I don't go into the pulpit without a full manuscript. Wait, what? <laughs> you not having a full manuscript and just kind of firing a little bit? Nope, I what? don't. Uh, I take a full <laughs> manuscript with me into the pulpit. And I, over the years, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years. Um, y- you are not the only one who has challenged me to preach without a manuscript. But I always go back to it. I try, I'll try it. I've tried it before. I'll try it again at some point, I'm sure. But I always go back to it. And I always go back to it, not because um, I'm afraid or because I don't think I can memorize it or uh, for any other reason than um, I, <laughs> I know when my ooh shiny kicks in, right? Uh, and we all kind of have that in this room. Yes. Right? When my ooh shiny kicks in, I don't want to go off on some tangent and then not know how to get back to the thing that I was really trying to share from this text of the word of God that is presented to us. And so for me, it's the, 
it's just the present reminder. And so I've gone through that manuscript enough with a pencil in hand, making little squigglies and jotting things down and writing in the margins such that I'm not even reading the words on the page as much as I am glancing down to pick up the visual cues about what's coming next or what I wanted to move there. Um, And then there was that classic moment uh, in the Advent sermon series this past year when uh, the the full this past year meaning this was the end of 2020 December 2022 yes December of 2022 uh, when the the fold of the sleeve of my alb caught my manuscript and flipped it off of the pulpit it hasn't happened yet it did you talked about December of 2022 which no is 2021 up. December of 2021 2021 forgive me we, yeah we're in it could happen again right yeah no, and so here here I am realizing that uh all of my visual cues about what's next are now floating down to the ground. And I, I, I got to where the end of what my brain remembered was next. And then I just looked at it. And by that time you were already moving uh, and had picked it up and handed it back to me, which I was very grateful for. So thank you for saving my hide. Um, No pun intended. (laughs) Or intended. Um, Right. So for me, it's that that writing helps ingrain, right? That writing on the manuscript helps ingrain in my brain what it is that I want to say, or the the process of handwriting a manuscript, and often mine are handwritten entirely, um, where the process of writing uh, in its entirety through that thought process through that manuscript uh, r- really does solidify what it is that I want to say. What is the one thing that I want to pull out of that text and deliver to God's people? Um, you know, it's funny how handwriting becomes such an important part because when we think about our handwriting, we don't think of it as art. Like we don't think of it as an artistic expression. I mean, we think of what we write as artistic. We think of, you know, that idea that it's like, oh, I'm going to use, I'm a, I'm a words craftsman. And so my art is writing in the words I use. When We don't think about the fact that when you make those marks on the paper, that is its own ex- form of artistic expression. In fact, it's one of the most fundamental forms of artistic expression that is in the accessible reach of everyone Colin, all the time. Colin, you, Colin you just told us we were artists. You well, are. What you, what you might argue, because language is, I mean, it's an interesting comment, because language is inherent, that it is the fundamental artistic expression. Yes, and I think when you look at, when I was in, in seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. One of the teachers did not like my handwriting. And, you know, fair enough. And I didn't like my handwriting after she said it. And I said, okay, I'm going to write in all caps. Because my mother will tell you, I still don't know what words should be capitalized and shouldn't be capitalized to this day. I mean, I understand. Like, I can write, list you off. Like, oh, it's proper nouns. It plays. It's like, I get that. But it's, it's, that's not always the case. And there's sometimes where you emphasize, you, like, anyway, moral of the story. So I didn't know how to capitalize words properly. And so I just started writing in all caps all the time. And I've done that to this day. And people will always be like, wow, your handwriting looks so great. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, this was on purpose because I wanted to have my handwriting look good. And it was an intentional act that I did. It was an intentional choice to become, to use this type of writing. But I'm so glad I did it because when you start to think of your handwriting as an expression of art, you start to be able to have a really good sense of what it means to, that accessibility, right? It's like, if you realize that, I have a form of artistic expression that is 
built into my day. That's built into my body, right? Like everyone, I think secretly everyone wishes they could draw. Like I think everyone's secretly like, like, oh, I wish I could draw that thing, right? I think that's just kind of the way we like that. Like that we think of that as such an impressive talent that we're all like, oh, it'd be great if we could do that. And I wish, oh, if, I, if only I could do that, I'd be an artist, right? Well, we can be artists in small ways with our handwriting. And it's one of those, it's actually one of the only ways that I think, I'm thinking about this. Typing isn't like that. Typing doesn't have, when you press a key, it is agnostic in your brain mm-hmm. from an artistic standpoint. Whether you pressed an A or pressed a B or pressed a C, it is the exact same thing in your brain, right? When you write an A or a B or a C, that is fundamentally different things physically. And I think that that is so elemental in why we feel yeah. writing as important. I, yeah, I, I mean, we could go we could go really afield talking about typing. There are, of course, some advantages to it. I mean, one of the, I mean, I, when I went to college was near the advent of the basic word processor. Oh my goodness. Which was, which was a revelation, right? So you could, you could type and type and then you could, cause I, I was the last year at my high school where um, typing on a typewriter was optional, was it was an elective. I got, I got a C. Uh, <laughs> don't have great fine motor coordination. Um, after that, keyboarding was required. Um, I think it was the old Apple II. And, but, you know, there's some advantages to it. But the, you know, there was something. In the old typewriter, you had, you had to press the button hard. You had to really, you, you really had to think through because you didn't want to make mistakes because it meant white out, potentially starting over, but but that also had its advantages in an analogous way, right? That writing has its advantages. That it, it's hard. You you have to you know. And then if you're going to write, something, you have to cross. I mean, even my the letter that I wrote that I started to write to you was you know was hand, I mean there are crosses and things starting off, and you know there were a couple adjustments that are different when I when I typed it up. But my handwriting stinks, so I almost have to type everything. But I'm trying to figure out a way, Colin, how to encourage more people to to take up the handwriting thing, and more kids. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm I'm thinking about this for the school year at our St. Paul school. Can I? Because of how to take, you know, have them take actual handwritten notes and then type them up, you know, because it's such an advantage, especially if you have some attention issues. I think one of the things that helped me a lot when I was, I have in one of these boxes around here, I have like 10 journals from when I was in middle school. I kept buying these really beautiful journals and then never using them because I couldn't bring myself to write in them because I was worried that I was going to mess them up. Right. It's a funny perspective on writing and journaling especially, but I think a lot of people hold themselves to an impossible standard of perfection when they journal and they have this idea in their head of what their journal should look like and their journal should be like. I think that the best thing anyone can do if they're worried about writing in a journal is to write a word or two or ten in the first page on the first sentence and then scribble one of them out because it immediately ruins it, right? And then that, that, you get that over with, right? For show notes and other information about Christ in All Things, visit ChristInAllThings.org. Comments may be emailed to comments at ChristInAllThings.org. We're thankful to provide Christ in All Things to you as a gift, but it's not free to produce and distribute. So if you'd like to help us make Christ in All Things a self-supporting show, 
and have a little fun in the process, please click the support page at ChristInAllThings.org. A donation of any kind gets you a dozen environmentally friendly Christ in All Things straws to share with your friends. Pastor Shockman loves these. That is so not true. You love those way too much, and I still can't believe you bought them. A donation of $200 or more gets you some cheerful on-air clapping. And a pair of Wisconsin-made wigwam hiking socks. A donation of $1,000 or more gets you thunderous on-air clapping. And a handmade Christ in All Things leather folio by the Murdy Creative Company. If you want to donate more than that, well, fly us wherever you want, and we will record Christ in All Things at your chosen location. Within reason, of course. All post-production surplus supports Youth Ministry at St. Paul's. Thank you for your support. Christ in All Things is a production of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. For more information about St. Paul's, visit splco.org, email us at info at splco.org, or the old-fashioned way, give us a call, 262-567-5001. Intro and outro music, setting by Joseph Hurl. Copyright 1998, Concordia Publishing House, used with permission.